Folks, if we could all take a seat, we want to give uh, Dr. Alf as much time as we can this morning. On behalf of the Hoffmantown Missions Committee, it is my uh, distinct honor to welcome Dr. Eliff to this breakout session. Glad you all could come today. Uh, if you heard a little bit of what Dr. Eliff had to say in the service, uh, we know that we're going to be blessed again. Uh, Dr. Eliff comes from a, a distinguished line of missions-minded uh, folks, and his heart is for missions. Uh, he's served as uh, president of the International Mission Board. We both have in common the fact that we served with it when it was the Foreign Mission Board, him in Zimbabwe and me in Korea. Uh, but his heart is definitely for missions, and he's going to have some good things to share with us today in developing a heart for missions. So Dr. Elif, come and share with us. Well, I'm glad to see you all. Um, this is a Bible study group, so let's study the Bible. How does that sound? So let's, let's take a great missions passage out of the book of Proverbs, all right? Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 24. Um, sometimes people wonder if there is much about missions in the Old Testament. And of course, what they fail to realize is this, that uh, the Old Testament is all about missions because God's purpose in moving Abraham, who was then Abram, to the land of Canaan, which now you think of as Israel, was so that Abraham or Abram could be a missionary he wanted his whole tribe to be missionaries. You say, what in the world? How did that happen? Well, it just so happens that Israel is at what we call a land bridge. Every major culture of the world crossed in their trade through Israel at that time. There were two big roads. There was a Via Maris, uh, which traveled went down through Israel from up northern Europe in that way, all the way down to Egypt. And then there was the, the Way of the Kings, or the King's Highway, which was a little bit farther to the east. And so God moved Abraham. Did you ever think about this? God moved Abraham as a missionary, called him to go to a place where he could stand at the crossroads of the world and say, there are not many gods, there is one God. And the way to that God is not by the sacrifice of your sons and daughters, but by the sacrifice of his son. And so the Old Testament is, is at its heart a missionary manual, all right? Now, in the book of Proverbs, there's an interesting passage of Scripture which just gives us a little bit of the heart of God as it relates to people who, uh, uh, who are being taken away to death, people who do not know the Lord, all right? I'm going to begin reading Proverbs chapter 24, and we'll just we'll let this, as I've said repeatedly, I, you've grown weary of hearing me tell this or say this, but we're going to let this verse fall open for us, this passage just fall open for us. We'll eat a bite at a time as we go through this, all right? Deliver those, verse 11, Proverbs 24. Deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. Now, if you say in your heart, see, we didn't know this. In other words, we didn't know they were being taken away to death. We didn't know that they were, being, they were staggering to slaughter. If you say, see, we didn't know this, does not he consider it who weighs the hearts? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? 
And will he not render unto man according to his work? This is a powerful argument for missions, all right? So if you're, if you're taking notes, and I, I know some people do that, and some people have wonderful memories. That, I had to take notes because I didn't have that good of a memory. So uh, maybe, you're, but if you're one of those who has a great memory, this, this will help you as well. There, there are four things I'd like for us to see in this passage of Scripture, and, and they just fall apart here. And uh, let me say, because this is a Bible class, um, as I understand proper teaching, uh, you make yourself available to the students. So if you want to stop me at any given moment and say, time out, I've got a question I want to ask about this, well then, that's perfectly, that's perfectly right, according to what your K-group ethos is, or a Bible class ethos is, so feel free to do that. The first thing I think we ought to see about this passage of Scripture is that in it, there is a compelling reality that you must acknowledge. You, you, you have to, there's something that you must sign on to. And you know what it is? It is that people without the Lord are dead. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Now, physical death is the ultimate outcome of that, but uh, of the curse of sin. But that death is, is being cut off from God. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they didn't die physically. Uh, they didn't die emotionally or consciously, but they were cut off from God up to that moment. They had walked with him in harmony there in the Garden of Eden. But the moment they sinned, they were cut off from God. Now they're hiding themselves. And when God asked, where are you? It was not because God didn't know where they are. Jesus asked 143 different questions. We have them recorded in the Gospels. But he never asked a question because he needed to know something. He already knew the, he already knew the answer. He asked questions because he wanted them to know something. And that's the reason he asked Adam and Eve, where, where are you? And, uh, of course, the truth came spilling out. And there was the first prophecy of the Messiah. A uh, man will be born. Uh, a woman, and Satan, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. Have you ever wondered why Jesus so often in the New Testament referred to himself as the Son of Man? He was putting the target on himself. He, says, I'm not, he was saying, I'm that one. You see, Satan had always been on a manhunt. Anytime somebody surfaced who had the idea of redemption associated with him, Satan tried to kill him. Think about Moses when Moses was born. Uh, what were the midwives commanded to do? You kill every one of these Hebrew male children when they're born. And Moses was born out of that and saved out of that. When Jesus was born, Herod heard uh, the word. He asked those wise men, when did you see that star? And he calculated. And so he said, okay, that's two years ago. It took you that long to travel here. And so uh, he said, I want every Hebrew boy two years and younger, and younger killed. And so Jesus referenced to himself in the scriptures as, a, as the son of man. He was the son of God as well. But Jesus' constant reference to himself as the son of man was a way of saying, I'm the guy. Way of saying to Satan, I am him. He was painting a, putting a bullseye on his, on, his target, on his back, okay? Because people without Christ, all of us have sinned. 
Uh, the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. And, and uh, the Bible says uh, that, that we live among sinners and we are sinners. And by the way, when do you become a sinner? You don't become a sinner when you commit a sin. Any more than a cow becomes a cow when she moves. Oh, she's moved. Now she's a cow. No, she moves because she is a cow. We sin because we are sinners. It is our very nature to be, to be sinners. And you, you got that. You see, you see that. And so the compelling reality that you must acknowledge is that people are being taken away to what? To death. He says, deliver those who are being taken away to death. And they are helplessly, hopelessly, hellishly lost. They're, 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 they're dead. By the way, they use some words here. They're hopelessly lost. They li- the picture there is of... Uh, a, being per, a person being taken along. Uh, staggering to slaughter, the picture there is a person standing on the edge of a cliff and the rocks are falling out from underneath his feet and he's uh, just one little mare brush on his shoulder and he plummets to his death. But people without Christ are dead. And they'll spend forever in hell. Unless somebody intervenes, they will spend forever in hell. That includes your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, your best friends, anyone without Christ will spend forever in hell. Anyone without Christ will spend forever in hell. And we need to wrap ourselves around that. I was, uh, I was walking in church one day, and uh, uh, I, it was for the evening service. And I, I, as I was coming in, a lady walked in, and she was just ashen-faced. I mean, I, I called her by name, and I said, what is wrong? And she said, oh, I was at the air show this afternoon. I said, oh, I heard about that horrible accident where that man's parachute got tangled up right at the last, and he plummeted to his death and just fell with a thud to the ground. And she said, Brother Tom, I was not only at the air show. She said, that man fell within just a few feet of me. And she said, up, way up in the air, uh, he caught my eyes. And, and he looked at me all the way to the ground, Brother Tom. She said, I saw him when he hit the ground. He was looking at me desperately. She said, I will never, I will never ever forget that. Wow. Well, that's your neighbor. That's your husband or your wife. That's your son, your daughter. That's your grandchild or your great-grandchild. I've got five great-grandchildren and a lot more on the way with 25 grandchildren. You know, i got a lot coming. But every one of them, each one of them without Christ is dead. Okay? So here we are in Proverbs. For those of you who just came in, Proverbs chapter 24, beginning with verse 11. What he says, deliver those who are being taken to death. First thing to write down is this. There's a compelling reality that I must acknowledge, and that is that people without Christ are dead. They are dead. And that's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, because people without Christ are dead, cut off from God forever. By the way, you don't hear a lot about hell these days. I know because your pastor preaches the Bible that you will hear about it, but hell is an actual place. It's an awful place. Uh, Jesus described it himself, and uh, as well as other places in the Bible. And uh, the thing that ought to, uh, ought to rock your boat here about hell is that it's an always place. 
There's never a halfway point in hell where you're almost through with it. Uh, where, okay, I, I'm, I'm past the hard part. Or there's never a spot where you get used to it, like you get used to your migraine headache. There's never a point where you say, okay, I got this hell thing pretty well. I can, I can exist here and have a meaningful, happy, no, no, that's gone. That's gone. And by the way, the word happy or joyful, that's gone too. So it's an actual, awful, always place. And that is the destiny of any person without Christ. And by the way, if there is another way than Jesus, then Jesus was a liar. And if Jesus was a liar, then he is not a way. Trusting him gains nothing because he's a liar. He's a mere man. As a sinner, he could not die for you. And so it's important to understand there is this compelling reality that we must all acknowledge. And you see it right there in verse 11. They're taken away to death. They're staggering to slaughter. What does he say? Deliver them. Oh, he says, hold them back. Do whatever you can. If they're going to go to hell, let them do it with you clutching at their shoelaces. Sometimes people are so afraid they're going to hurt their child's feelings or their neighbor's feelings, and they, they're so afraid they're going to, 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 to hurt their, they don't ever confront them. And so they, basically they're just encouraging them on the way to hell by never challenging with them with the truth of the gospel. And the truth is, people without Christ are forever in hell. And that includes most of the world's population. They're only, they're less, less than, um, well, 7.5 billion people on the globe. Less than 1 billion of those are evangelical Christians, people who by faith have repented of sin, received Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, there's another larger group that calls themselves Christians, but they believe that you have to do other stuff to get saved. And, of course, Jesus said that's not true. So we don't believe in our works. So that is the reality we must acknowledge. Now, here's the second thing. We're just letting the Scripture fall open for us. There's, there are critical responsibilities you must accept. There's a compelling reality you must acknowledge but with that, there are these critical responsibilities that you must accept. If you are a child of God, you don't get to vote on this. It's like, well, I don't like that strategy. Or I don't like that method. Or I don't like what you're saying there. I didn't sign up for that when I signed up to be a Christian. No, if you are God's child in reality then there are these critical responsibilities. He's, he gives them to us here. First of all, deliver them. Doesn't that say that? Deliver those who are being taken away to death. Deliver them. Do everything you can to rescue them. Um, you have an advantage. You have the Word of God. You have Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you have that advantage to, to rescue them, to deliver those who are being taken away to death. Um, I know I'm wearing you all out uh, here this morning and, and this weekend with, with one phrase that I have repeated often. And that is that it is critical for you and for me to leave people with eternity in view. Everybody. This little waitress came to my table this morning, a 17-year-old girl named Aliana. And um, I said to her what I always say, Aliana, um, 
uh, I'm going to pray. I, I have this question. I'm going to pray over my food here. And I make it a point always to pray for my waiter, or my waitress in this case. And so would you tell me, how may I pray for you? Now, I've been asking that question for dozens of years and maybe turned down three or four times, but who cares about that? I mean, they can't eat you. You're there to eat their food. So they, you know, they're not going to do that. So, so she said, well, uh, and her lip began to tremble. She said, I have cervical cancer. 17 years old. And so I said, Aliana, may I ask you this question? Have you ever made the discovery of knowing Jesus in a personal way for yourself? Or would you say you're still in the process? Because if they say, I'm still in the process, great, I'm here to help you. You ask me. In the process, let's go. She said, oh, yes, I have. And she told me where she trusted Christ and that she had been baptized, as a matter of fact. And uh, so that gave me a wonderful opportunity then to talk to her about other things and about her future and, and uh, uh, with the Lord, but then also to pray for her. Now, what, what was my goal? I, I, I didn't want to just be friendly. That's good. That's nice. We ought to all be friendly. Some, some, I know people, some, we're all about the same age in this group. Some of y'all are younger, but not many. And um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, you can get to be an old curmudgeon where you think that life is about you, you know. But it's not. It's about him. And we haven't, we're here on this earth. God could take us to heaven. We can do everything else better there. You can sing better, pray better. You can do everything better in heaven that you ought to do except one thing. And that is to leave people with eternity in view. So whatever your conversation, you can leave, you can leave people. By the way, there's a good, the good thing about that. Uh, if your goal is to leave somebody with eternity in view, that means you can't start out by being a nasty curmudgeon. <laughs> you don't start out by complaining and acting ugly and short-tempered and just being something that we ought not to be anyway, uh, not Christ-like. Because you want to position yourself so that when you speak about Jesus, they say, now if Jesus has done that to somebody like you, that's what I want. Does that make sense what I'm saying here? So the first critical responsibility we have is to deliver them. But if we can't deliver them, we can at least what? Detain them. He said, those who are staggering to slaughter, oh, hold them back. At least reach out and grab their shoelaces. At least grab their shirt or their sweater. And do whatever you can to, to keep them from this terrible, terrible destiny of spending eternity without God. And by the way, that hell is not there because God doesn't love us. He's there because he does love us. He loves us so much he has determined that good and evil will not exist side by side forever. And so, you know, the good news is they can be delivered. Uh, the bad news sometimes for us is that we do not leave them with eternity in view. So wouldn't it be great if it's said of you, you know, I... I he is so sweet. She is so gracious. And you know, she's a Christian. Do you know he's a Christian? It's made a difference in his life. It's made a difference in her life. I want that in my life. And so we, there's this compelling reality we have to acknowledge. People without Christ are helplessly, hopelessly, hellishly lost. They're on their way to death. They're staggering to slaughter. And there's this critical responsibility 
we must accept. We ought to deliver them. Or if we can't, at least do our dead level best to hold them back. Do everything we can to hold them back. You'll never, by the way, you'll be sorry if you didn't. You'll never be sorry if you did. Right? You'll be sorry, like I said in the message this morning, for not speaking the gospel to a young man who blatantly asked me about God. And so uh, I think it's important for us to see this critical responsibility. All right, now, let's just keep on going. We're letting the Scripture fall apart for us. The next thing that you see in the Scripture is that there's some callous reactions that you must avoid. Okay? He said, if you say, see, as if God doesn't see. See, we did not know this. We didn't understand that they were going to go to hell. We didn't understand about doesn't he consider who weighs the hearts, and doesn't he know it who keeps your soul? And will not he render to every man according to his work? So, there are three reactions that you must just put aside. These must not be a part of your plan of action, your strategy for the future. What are they? Number one, do not decline to do this. Don't say, I'm not going to do it. Look at verse 10. If you're slack in the day of distress, your strength is limited. No, you, have, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So if you don't do that, well, then you don't have the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can't decline. You cannot delay. Look at verse 11. Deliver those who are being taken to death, those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. Hurry. You know, when somebody's about to fall over a precipice, you don't have all day to saunter over there and talk to them about falling. You've you got to race over and grab them. You're doing everything you can to rescue them. So you can't delay. And by the way, notice verse 12. You cannot dispute. If you get in this argument with God and you say, God, I really didn't know this about hell. Nobody ever told me about hell and about how awful it was. And nobody ever told me that people that didn't know Jesus would go to hell forever. You can't say that. You can't, you can't say that. Your pastor hasn't taught you that. You haven't grown up learning that. And you heard it from me. Most of all, you read it in the Word of God. I am. I was way, way back in the, in the guts of Africa. Oh, my. You know, you, you end up in some places that you just marvel. You say, I can't imagine people even live here. And uh, a friend of mine, who's a, he, he, came, he was a farmer in Oklahoma. I'd known him uh, as a farmer, and then he and his wife had answered God's call to missions. And now they were doing this agrarian program way back on the backside um, of Tanzania over by the lake. And, and he said to me one day, he said, uh, he said uh, there is a, there's a huge village not far from here where I've, I've never been able to share the gospel he said, they haven't let me. They said, I can go in, you ask permission from the chief. They won't let you do it. I said, let's go. You know? I mean, you, 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 sometimes God gives you guts more than a government mule, right? So you just, you just <laughs> I'm going to do this. And so, so you do it. And we, it took us about four or five hours just to get to this village, okay? And we finally get there, and we, we come in with this uh, Land Rover, and we're going to show a video, and then we're going to preach the gospel. Dan, you know the... You know this, how, how we do this. And, um, and so I found the village chief. There, there were over a thousand people in this village. I mean, it was a huge village. And uh, I asked for permission, and he gave me permission. And, and uh, so we set up the screen, and we showed this sort of a beard and bathrobe movie uh, to everybody in, in their language. 
And uh, then we said, we got another movie, so stick around. But in the meantime, I'm going to share the gospel. You've done this, man. And uh, so I shared the gospel. First, and to my knowledge, the only time I have ever preached the gospel in Africa, and there was no response. Not one person. I did everything I knew to do. I begged. I told them I'd meet them at the chief's house. I told them I'd meet them over by the truck. I, I, not one, half of them were drunk. But not one person responded to the gospel message. So we, now it's nighttime. And we pack up all that stuff. And we get back in this Land Rover. And we start down the mountain. And we've got several hours of driving through the, you know, bashing through the brush and everything like that. In fact, I remember thinking, I've got a callus on the back of my hand. It rubbed on the back of my hand. used to have. Now it's just sort of healed over. But callus on the back of my hand uh, from hanging on to a leather strap and banging down that thing like that, you know. And, that, and not just there, but other places as well. And so we're riding along in silence, just <laughs> like this. And um, this missionary, my friend, said, I know what you're thinking. And I, I said, yeah, I'm thinking about you. He said, yeah, I know. He said, here's what you're thinking. You're thinking that, uh, boy, this has got to be hard on my missionary friend. And it's going to make him think, you know, that his work is not successful and that he ought to leave and go home. And that was what he was thinking. And he said, Brother Tom, he said, I want to tell you something. If, if I only stayed over here because people responded to, to what I preached the way I thought they ought to, I would have gone home a long time ago. He said, who knows how God might use the preaching of the gospel? He said, all those people up there, now listen to this. He said, God may simply want to use that in the judgment. When he says, why didn't you respond to the gospel? And they say, we never heard. He can take them back to this night when they clearly heard a presentation of the gospel and say, yes, you did. And you rejected. So, what are, what are we saying here? You don't argue with God over this. You, you can, you, not one person in this room can walk out of here saying, I didn't know that people that died without Christ went to hell. I didn't know hell was always. I thought we could you know, go there and snatch people out of there. I, I didn't know Jesus was the only way. I didn't know this was true. Those are my, if I'd known that, I'd have talked to my grandbaby. I'll guarantee you that. I'd have told them, I'd, I'd have done whatever I could. God would say, here, does not he who keeps your heart know it, and will he not render to every man according to his works? We're going to talk about the judgment seat of Christ in just, in, in just a few moments. Okay? So there are these callous reactions that we must avoid. We can't decline here. We can't delay. But most of all, we can't dispute with God that he's running the show in an improper fashion. All right, let's get down to one other thing then, and if we want to, we can visit a little bit about this or be dismissed. And this is, this is 
where this passage ends, and that is that there is a certain reckoning that you must anticipate. So we said what? There's compelling reality you must accept. There is a critical response that you must acknowledge. There's a critical responsibility you must accept. There are callous reactions you must avoid, but notice here, there's a certain reckoning you must anticipate. By the way, it's acceptable and it's accurate, and by the way, God assures us of this. If you say, we do not know this, does he not consider it who weighs the hearts, and does he not know it who keeps your soul, and will he not render to every man according to his works? Now, Here's something that a lot of us forget, and it's all rooted in the teachings of the New Testament, and there are some glimmers of it in the Old Testament. There are several judgments, uh, and sometimes because we talk about the fact that if you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you will not stand before what the Bible calls the great, we sometimes call the great white throne judgment at the end of time, when the books are open, the book of life, and then the other books are open. And all of the lost, the Bible says, all the dead of all the ages are resurrected. And then because their names are not written in the book of life, they are cast into hell forever. And that's, that's the great white throne judgment because it takes place before, as we read in the book of Revelation, which your pastor is going to be preaching through. I'm so excited about that. I can't wait to listen to those messages. Wow. And, but there's the great white throne judgment. And so because we've trusted in Jesus, because it's only lost people who are there. If you've trusted in Christ, you say, well, I won't stand there. So the, the danger there is that you think that that's the only judgment. Because you see, the Bible tells us that there's going to come a day when the church, those who believe in Christ, will be taken up to be with the Lord. By the way, we'll usher in a period of, of terrible um, well, well, the Bible talks about it. Sometimes uh, we talk about the tribulation and the great tribulation. I'm not going to go into all that. I'm going to leave that with your pastor. But the Bible says that there is for every Christian what is called the judgment seat of Christ. If you had, um, I don't know how many of y'all have been there. Probably a bunch of you have been there already. But you know, not long ago I was, standing, I was in Corinth where uh, the Apostle Paul, from which he wrote several letters, you know, some more notable than others, but he but, but he walked those streets, you know. And I stood at the Bema, uh, which is a judgment seat. Now, what is the judgment seat of Christ? The Bible says, uh, as a matter of fact, Jesus in his parables told about this, about the king, for instance, or the man going away, leaving his, his uh, land in charge of his servants, and then coming back, calling them to himself. There's the rapture of the church. And then judging. I gave you two talents. I gave you five talents. And, and each one of them had to give a reckoning. Of course, th- th- that's there. And Paul says we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 5, you know. And so um, what does that mean, that judgment seat of Christ? What, what does that mean? Or at the issue at that judgment, now listen to this, the issue will not be whether you get to heaven. You wouldn't be at that judgment unless you were going to be in heaven forever with the Lord. That's not the issue. You're not being judged to see if you get to go in because we don't go to heaven because of our works. That's not the purpose of the judgment seat of Christ. But the purpose of the judgment seat of Christ 
is basically for him to ask this question. What did you do with what I gave you? You see, that's rooted in all the parables. You go back to the parables of the, of the, the Lord who left his servants the ten talents or the land or whatever. Uh, the question will be, what did you do? Well, he says, for we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so, so the, the answer, he says, so that we might receive what we have done. And so there will be, there will be rewards. Of course, we're, the reward is enough to be in heaven, but there will be rewards. And you can, you can even think maybe if, if in my particular frame of reference, I, I believe that there will be a millennial reign, a thousand year reign. And I do believe that people who have gone through the judgment seat of Christ will have responsibilities during that millennial reign that are related to uh, uh, how they handled what God gave us. But the bottom line is this, whether you agree with that or not, we are, as believers in Christ, we are going to stand before the Lord and give an answer for what we did with what he gave us. Not whether we get to heaven, we're standing before him because we're going to be there, but what did we do with what he gave us? That's the judgment seat of Christ. Thus, in this chapter, he says what? Will he not render to each man, what? According to his works. You're not saved by works, but there at that judgment, the issue will be. So, if you, do you intend to stand before him and say, uh, yeah, you and I, a lot of people ran through my life. I never challenged one of them with the gospel. Yeah, a lot of people ran through my life, and I never left one of them with eternity in view. I had all those acquaintances. I had all those opportunities. Yeah, you gave me those resources. And I'll be honest with you, you look at my checkbook, you'll see pretty quick that God's work and missions and so forth is not a big priority to me. And a lot of other things are. I want to make sure that I subscribe to my cable vision. I, don't want, I do not want to lose that. I'm not so sure about whether I want to subscribe to seeing people saved over there in the Solomon Islands or someplace like that. Will not he render to every man according to his works? So don't just sit here and think, because I'm going to heaven, I'm never going to be called before the Lord to answer for how I spend the life he gave me. Does that make sense? And so it says here that there's a certain reckon, uh, reckoning that you must anticipate. It's assured to us, and it's going to be an accurate Jesus is not going to make any mistakes. Nothing's going to fall off the chart here that you did that's good. You're not going to lose it. But then again, nothing's going to fall off the chart that you didn't do that was good, that you could have done. So, what are we saying here? This is a good case for soul winning. Right out of Proverbs 24. Right? It's a good case for sharing the gospel with somebody repeatedly often I mean at, 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 even if it's the cost of your life I was, uh, I was <laughs> you know like I said you get in these really weird situations and I was, I was sitting with a group of pastors uh, in Bulawayo Zimbabwe Bulawayo means the place where the man was killed and uh, we used to live in Bulawayo and um, uh, our family came back. They were involved in a car that was sabotaged. And our oldest daughter was burned really badly. And thus we came back from the field. 
There was a lot of fighting going on in the country of Zimbabwe at that time, which formerly southern Rhodesia. So I'm sitting with these pastors, and I had been down the week before to a place called Gwanda, and outside of Gwanda, um, th- these are Zulu people primarily in that part of Zimbabwe. There's the Zulu, and there's a Shona, there's a Ndebele, and there's a Shona. So we spoke the Zulu language, and and uh, so I I said to these pastors, I've been down to Gwanda, and um, I walked around around Queen's Mine, which is about ten meter, ten kilometers out, fifteen kilometers out, I guess. And I said. Uh, you know, I've just been walking around down there, and old Mfundis, that's Pastor Muchechiteri, and I just, we got the, we had the privilege of leading 10 or 12 people to Christ, just wandering around down there uh, last weekend. And uh, they want to know about a church. And they have a church. There's a, there, actually, we found a place there could meet, and they want to know about this church. And all these pastors, mm, I mean, they're looking at me, and they, they said, mm, that's a bad place. There's a lot of fighting going on down there, and, and uh, you get killed going down there to that place, and it's really bad. And I said, well, wh- what does the scripture say? Let's pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers to harvest. Okay, we'll pray. You go ahead. You lead us, but nobody's gonna, nobody is going to go out there. I can just tell you, this is the truth. Nobody is going to go out. It's a tough place. So um, we prayed. Afterwards, a... Uh, a uh, young man, barely 20, he just turned 20, as a guy became my hero. He was Zulu's in the belly. He walked with a limp because he'd had polio. And he, he limped over to me and he said, uh, I'll go down there. I said, his name, by the way, was Sabulao Madumba. Sabulao means killer, killer Madumba. And so I'm looking at Killer Madumba, man. I mean, he's, and, but, but he's anything but a killer. He's this ironic look on his face. He's the most godly. Just a young man. And I'd known him for a long time. He said, Infundus, I will go. And I said, Sablao, that's a terrible place like these guys. I said, are you sure? He said, yeah. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, I work for a bank here, and I will get transferred down there to Gwanda, to the bank down there, Barclays Bank there. And I will then become the pastor of those people. And so he said, but you've got to promise me something. He said, promise me you will get me a bicycle. He said, I don't have a bicycle. And he said, it's so hard for me. He said, I can't walk those 15 kilometers out there. You know, that's, that's about 10 or 11 miles. He said, I can't walk out there and then come back and then walk back out there over the weekend with, you know, with, with, with my leg. He said, you've got to get me a bicycle. Well, I didn't realize how serious he was. I sort of dilly-dallied around, you know, and, and uh, about three or four weeks later, I had a bicycle in the back of my combi, and I'm bashing it down there to go see Sablao. I don't even think he's there probably. You know, I, it's only been a few weeks since we talked, so I, I went down there to that town, and he was there. I mean, he was there. He said, Funas, where have you been? I said, well, I've, I've been getting you a bike, and I've got you a nice bike. This will help you. i got this nice bike for, for you. And um, 
And he said, huh? I said, so you're ready to start? He said, ready to start? He said, I've been doing this for three weeks. He said, it's been tough. He said, I've been walking out there and walking back and walking out there and walking back. I said, you can't do that. I said, Sablao, don't do it. I said, this last week, a, a Salvation Army missionary was shot dead off the top of his truck and another guy was killed on the bus at point blank range. You can't do that. He said, oh, Mfunis. He said, if God can stop the mouths of the lions, for Daniel, he can stop the bullets for Sablau. He said, beside, he said, we have 14 people to be baptized, so let's go. My hero. You know, we get to thinking we're such hot shots. And, and honestly, I feel like, you know, sort of like Whitfield was talking about the Wesleys, I feel like that um, when I get to heaven, I'd like to be close enough to the throne of God to see the back of Sablao's head. He's my hero. Have the task. Deliver those who are staggering to slaughter. Hold them back. They're being taken away to death. And so there's a there's a good passage for you. We're out of time here this morning, but there's a good passage for you right straight out of the book of Proverbs that ought to encourage you to be a winner of souls to Jesus. Okay? Does that make sense? Are we together on this? All right. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And let me just say in advance, don't rush to the back because there's some ugly, fat men who have been grazing at that table the entire time you've been sitting here and there's no food back there. I'm just kidding. I love you guys and I wish I could just sit down with you in your living room and talk to you about Jesus. That would be fun, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be great? We'll do that in heaven one day. We'll get to do that. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the joy that comes to our heart through serving Jesus. Lord, I thank you that there's a Sablao Madumba in my life that I can look at as a hero. Lord, somebody who sees the urgency of sharing the gospel. Lord, this, this world is in such desperate need of men like that young man with a big heart. I pray I'll be like him. I want to be. Dear Lord, bless each person here. I know, Lord, there are probably some people here sitting right in front of me, laughing and smiling, but having a hard time concentrating on what this preacher said this morning because they're fighting some other battles. Maybe, maybe somebody here is from a home that's fallen apart, got kids. I know, Lord, it's hard to be happier than your saddest child, and they got kids that are causing them grief, and I know they're lost, and this just reminds them of how terrible it is to be lost. And Lord, I know there are people here who probably have health problems, and they got a report this week from a doctor that was not good for them. I think about that little girl with cervical cancer, 17 years old, but there's probably somebody here who's um, got a cloud in their heart right now because of some bad report. And Lord, we're just a bunch of broken people who cry out to you for your grace and your mercy, and who thank you for your loving kindness. Oh, dear God, thank you, thank you, thank you for 
sending your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, to pay sin's debt on the cross of Calvary. And then, Father, you raised him from the dead. Death could not hold him because he was a sinless Savior. And then, Holy Spirit, you have gone to all this great length over the centuries to reveal Christ to us. We'd be lost if you didn't. We thank you for that. Oh, God, thank you for your mercy and your grace. And we pray these things in the wonderful and blessed name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for letting me come here today. Tom, thank you for the kind introduction. You're dismissed. Thank you.